right, so we're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to look at verse 18 through chapter 2, verse 5. Have you noticed this trend among people my age, like 30 and 40 year olds, with becoming famous gurus on social media? So let me explain. Like what 30 and 40 year olds do is they get this niche, whether it be hand soap or parenting or whatever it is. But the next thing you know, their entire life is like a TikTok or a reel. It's like 30 year olds and 40 year olds. And you're thinking, dear 30, dear 40 year old, please stop, <laughs> right? But here's the thing. The point I want you to see is it's always revolving around this like special wisdom that this person has. Have you noticed that? And so while I'm kind of making fun of it, I don't really care if people do that, honestly. I mean, I can literally just skip it. But there's always this kind of like insider knowledge that people have about this topic. Now, why is this? Maybe it's a midlife crisis. I don't know. (laughs) But I highly doubt it because you guys are super weird on TikTok and Instagram and all the other things that you can have that I don't even know about. But here's why I bring this up. I think really the best answer is because each of us deep down, we desire wisdom, right? Why do these people do this? These 60 second videos on TikTok or Reels and they are a self-proclaimed guru because they know people actually want to watch it because people really do value maybe the wisdom that they claim to have. But in our text this evening, it's the understanding of the human's desire for wisdom that Paul wants to instruct. So this desire to know things, this desire for wisdom is something that Paul believes the Bible actually speaks to. And so what Paul is going to do in the beginning is he is going to warn us against the idea or the thought that our wisdom is something that can actually save us. That we could go somewhere in the world or pull up a video somewhere and find a wisdom that's wise enough to actually save us, a wisdom that actually fills the desire that's deep down within each of us for knowledge. So look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 18, and then we'll read to 2.5. So here Paul says, for the word, remember he's just talked about um, who we are in Christ, that is that God in his divine sovereign grace has chosen to save you, right? This church in Corinth, these messed up people, Paul starts out the letter with, hey, here's who you are in Christ because of what Christ has done. You are a church filled with knowledge, a church full of the gifts of the spirit. And then he says, but I've noticed that you guys have favorite preachers and you're now actually creating gangs based on your favorite preachers. And so he's addressing who they are by God's grace, but then he's also talking about their temptation to sin. And so then he starts talking about this idea of what true wisdom actually looks like, because true wisdom, at least in Corinth and in our lives, will guide how we think and how we do and what we desire and what we see as worthwhile. And so it's based on that that he says, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are, who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Chapter 2, verse 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom, for I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. All right, so I'm going to pray. But before I pray, I just want to remind you that for the next 25 minutes, pay attention to me. Not because I'm who I am, but because of what we're doing right now. And so. Let's not talk. Let's keep our eyes up here, and I will keep this thing to 25 minutes. But what I'm telling you is anytime we open the Bible in here or anywhere else, this is God's Word, and God alone has the power to save through His Word. And so what we're doing this evening may just be like, I say this all the time, but you may be coming in here tonight and just thinking, yeah, it's just another night of youth, right? It's even January. January is not a great month. If you're born in January, I'm so sorry. It's good for that reason. But other than that, it's not really a great month. It's just another night of youth. But tonight could be the night that you're talking about 20 years from now when you're joining a church. And the pastor says, can you tell me how you came to faith? And your story starts with, well, I was a sinner and I knew I need a savior. And on January the 23rd of 2022 in youth group, God saved my soul. I just want to remind you of that. So let's pray and then let's dig in. Father God, thank you for this time to gather. I pray specifically for my friends in this room who don't know you, that you would use your word mightily in their life, that they would for the first time tonight have eyes to see and ears to hear, that they would realize that they are sinners in need of a Savior, and that they would look to you and trust in what Christ has done for them, and that they would believe in Jesus and be saved. Father, would you do that for us tonight? For my friends who profess faith and claim to be a believer, I pray that you would use this word to to build them up in the faith that they claim, that they would even a little more tonight than, than the last time we gathered own their faith and grow closer to you. And it's in Christ's name that we pray these things. Amen. All right, so just as a reminder, 1 Corinthians chapter 1 is all about what Christ has done for us, right? We are first and foremost recipients of the faith, not actors in faith right? So simply put, we are who we are because that's what Christ has made us to be. That's what Paul starts this whole book reminding them. You are who you are because of what Christ has done. It's a really important reminder. 
But Paul's going to tell us all about why the world thinks that's weird and foolish. And I think most simply, the world thinks that's weird because the world loves a Cinderella story, right? How many times have you been scrolling on social media or you've been watching the news with your parents or whatever, and you see this story of like this little lowly person that like rose up and did something amazing and we're all sitting there and we're like, yeah, right? I mean, it could be a sports team who's just really not that good and there's this crazy upset. And the next thing you know, we're all cheering for the underdog. Why? Because we love the underdog, right? We love a Cinderella story. We love when weak people put on their boots, they pull them up and they go do work. That's not how you get saved. And that's what Paul is reminding this church about. And the world thinks it's weird that God finds pleasure in weak things. The world doesn't want to be weak. The world doesn't desire to be lowly and nothing, but that's who we claim to be. So the world thinks we're odd. And so the question for tonight, as you're thinking about all that we're going to talk about, the question is this, where does your faith rest? If you claim to be a follower of Jesus, I want you to ask yourself this question in your head right now. Where does my faith rest? All right, so I have two points. MK, go ahead and pop point one up. Faith in Jesus Christ will make you foolish to the world. So faith in Jesus Christ will make you foolish to the world. Now, sometimes I think when we read the Bible, we just look at the word world and we're like, okay, number one, I don't even really know what that means. Number two, the world ain't that bad. I live here. I know. But as far as Paul's concerned, when he uses the word world, he's not talking about like this neutral entity as if you can just go into the world and everything is just neutral right? The world doesn't care what you think or believe. The world is just totally fine with who you are. What Paul is telling us is that the world actually has a value system. The the world has a way of doing life. The world has a thought process. And so whenever he's talking about the world, that is the world around us, that is everything and everyone outside of believers in Jesus Christ, it has a value system. And so the world is not just filled with good-hearted people who just love you and want what's best for you. Now, certainly people like that exist. They just, they're your friends or they're your family and they, they do love you and they do want good for you. But what Paul is saying is that's not our understanding of the world at large. And so Paul defines really the world like this. You are either of Christ or of the world. Now, if you are of the world, this is the way you got there. Number one, step one, you refused God. Maybe you've never heard about him, but you're still a sinner. And so it's a refusal of God. Maybe you've heard about God and you don't like him and you refuse him. And so then step two happens. Because you don't want to worship God, but you are a person who wants to worship something, you then worship yourself. So you refuse God, you become a worshiper of self, And then what you do is you find a God or create a God who fits what you desire and what you want. And so that's why you have a world filled with false religions. That's why you have a world filled with people who have like religious beliefs, but they're not really religious people or people who have like a set of values, but they're not religious. But again, what makes us foolish to these people? Well, It's what I said, our faith isn't a result of what we've worked for or what we've earned. It's the result of God's grace to us. So Paul reminds the Corinthians that they're people of the cross, right? They're they're people who have 
been bought by what Christ has done, and they claim that their salvation has been purchased for them. And so when the world looks at believers, the world doesn't look at like entrepreneurs, right? We're not a bunch of people who have started with nothing and now we're billionaires. We, we were beggars. We had nothing. We brought nothing. And here's the crazy thing. That's who we actually claim to be. And the world looks at us and they think, wait, you're telling me that you had nothing? And we say, nothing. I had nothing to offer God. Nothing. So I think what Paul is doing here in the beginning is he's ridding us of this anxiety as it re- revolves around like wisdom and truth. He's, he's trying to remove this anxiety from us that you have to connect the right dots to become a Christian, right? That you have to understand the right things, that you have to see the five-step process of becoming a believer, right? The cross isn't about what we have done or what we need to do. The cross is solely about what has been done for us. The cross is about the freeness of God's grace to those who would simply confess their sin and believe. All right, point two. True wisdom is knowing that salvation is a gift from God that came at the cost of Christ. So what Paul does here in in this section is he, he wants us to see that not only wisdom, but then he says righteousness, sanctification, and redemption they can only be received as gifts from God, right? What Paul is saying is, if, if you want this wisdom, if, if you want salvation, if you want redemption, if you want sanctification, right? And sanctification is just a fancy theological word for being set apart, right? If you want to be plucked out of the world and placed in the church as a child of God, then what you need to realize is that those things are received as gifts from God. Again, he's doubling down and saying, these are not things you can earn. In fact, the world thinks you have to be smart. You have to have a really good family. You have to be of noble birth in order to be worth anything. But the reality of what God does through Christ on the cross is he will do everything for someone who can give him nothing. So the nothingness that you have is all that's required of you. It's to confess that, man, I'm one of these weak, lowly people that you're talking about. That's the first step. And so what we actually do is we please God by confessing, I can't do this faith thing on my own. I can't become a Christian. (laughs) Like, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to please you. I mean, have you ever thought about like pleasing God, like making him happy and winning his approval? Think about yesterday. Do you think that yesterday is a day that would have pleased God and, and won his approval for you? But I mean, really think about it. I mean, if you had to, like, I'm, listen, let's go into heaven right now, stand before God, and if, if yesterday was what you would be judged on as to whether you got it or not, what do you think? I think most of us would be, at least be like, that was a pretty good day. It was that moment. But overall, Here's the thing. God is holy, without sin, perfectly righteous. Was that what your day yesterday was like? So what Paul is saying is our first step of faith is confessing, I can't do this. I can't live up to this standard. This wisdom that you're talking about, this wisdom from God, I don't have that. 
So if that's what you want me to have, then you're going to need to give it to me. That's step one, is realizing that what God asks of you, you can't give him. And so what do you do? You ask him to give you what he requires of you. Isn't that awesome? I mean, for real, think about it. Haven't you? Like, it is awesome because you're all children. And your parents have asked you something at some point in your life where you're like, I don't actually know. Number one, calm down. Number two, I can't do what you're asking me to do because you're so mad you won't even tell me what you want me to do. Right? You've been there. I've been there. I'm a parent. I do it all the time. Where I'm like, hey, Max, go do this and this and this. And he's like, dad, I can't drive. Like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do that. Right? I ask things of him that he can't actually do. But what God does is he says, okay, here's the standard. I know you can't do it. And so let me do it for you. That's what's amazing. He asks you to do something you can't do. And then he supplies the means of doing it. The world thinks that's crazy. Why? Because the world doesn't want to admit that they can't do it. The world never wants to be in a position where they realize, I have no hope. But listen to me, that's exactly where you need to be. Because we have a God in heaven who looks at people like that and who cry out and say, I have no hope. And he says in his word, yes, you do. Look to the cross. So here's the struggle. Right? This, this, this wisdom that we're called to put on, this wisdom of God, here's the struggle. Receiving God's wisdom means replacing the world's wisdom. Receiving God's wisdom means replacing the world's wisdom. Y'all, I mean, even the youngest of you, you have lived in this world long enough to be indoctrinated by this world. You are a product of the world. I am a product of the world. But what Paul is saying to this church who is struggling with this idea of worldly wisdom and being smart and being able to debate and being able to have, and and one of the things he's going to keep coming back to is talking about like preaching the gospel with eloquent speech. So one of the things that Greeks really valued was people who could speak really, really well. And so Paul keeps saying, I'm just a dude who preaches the gospel. All I do is talk about Christ crucified, right? Because what I'm about is not talking well, but pointing you to Jesus. And so all of these people who value wisdom and knowledge and all of the like awesomeness of the faith, they are misguided because we are here for one purpose and that's to look to Jesus. We are here because we are people of the cross. We're not here because we're really, really smart people. And so when you come to faith, you have to make a decision. Am am I going to be about Jesus? Is my life going to be centered? Is my life going to be revolve around Jesus Christ and what he has done? Or am I still going to be a person of the world? Because here's the reality. When you come to faith, when you place your trust in Christ, what happens is you are made new, right? In John chapter 3, when, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, he says, you know what happens when you're saved? You are born again. You are a new creation. That means there is an old you, and now there is a new you. And here's the thing. Every single one of us struggles against that person. Every single one of us is tempted to be that person and to sink back into this idea, well, 
you know, the world is pretty smart. Yeah, the way the world believes about this topic, yeah, I think that is better. Plus, if I believe that way about this topic, all these people are going to hate me. Yes, they will. Why do I say that? Because Paul said it. We look foolish, not just because we're believers, but because of what being a believer means in our life. We look foolish because of the things we believe about the faith that God has an objective truth, and that objective truth supersedes everything the world claims. And that is going to make you look crazy. Now, here's the good news. Paul is telling us that will happen. It doesn't make it easier, but it does help us to understand that it is expected. So our lives, your life, it will absolutely 100% guaranteed be influenced and molded by what you believe is worthwhile. The thing or the things that you think are worthwhile for your life are the things that will shape everything about you. Right? So if we desire the wisdom of the world, even just a little bit of it, then we're probably not going to have a hard time fitting in with the world. But if we desire God's wisdom, then at times fitting in will be impossible, like a puzzle piece that just don't fit. And when you come to faith, that's what you are accepting. Because we claim as believers that Jesus is Lord, not me. Right? The three steps of being a person of the world, rejecting God, worshiping self, and then creating your own God who fits what you desire. In the faith, what we say is, you know what? I'm done with all of that. Jesus, you are Lord. You dictate my life. So, one thing I want to look at very quickly, why does Paul say that the gospel isn't communicated best by eloquent, like lofty speech? So someone other than me obviously getting up here and just giving this amazing talk about Jesus and just using all of these awesome words and they're just so smart and you look and you're like, man, I think that person is a rocket scientist. Or maybe they're a brain surgeon. I don't know, they're so smart. They got a 36 on their ACT, and then just for fun, they took this SAT and got a 1600. They're so smart. Why does Paul say that's not the best way? He says it, he's going to say it multiple times, but he's already said it once. Why? Because the gospel isn't just knowledge to be known. That's why he says it. The gospel isn't just something to know, it's something we live. He wants us to understand the gospel is given in regular terms because the gospel is something that we're supposed to live out. It's not just this thing that we're supposed to have in our head and we're like, man, that blows my mind. It's supposed to be your life. And sometimes informing you on how to live your life comes with some y'alls and some tens and some ideas and all of those weird things I say. So look at this. Let's end it. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1-5. through five. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit of God and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. The question is this, where does your faith rest? If you claim faith at all, where does your faith rest? Is your faith in your ability? 
Is it in your social status? Is it in your knowledge of the Bible? Does it rest in the prestige of your family? Maybe your life has been really, really difficult and you just think God owes you one. And so your faith rests in the fact that God owes you one because you've had a hard life. Where does your faith rest? So if you hear one thing, I want you to hear this. Christ died that you might be saved from your sin. Look at me. Every single person in this room, look at me in my face. Christ died that you might be saved from your sin. He died to bring you to the Father. So what I want you to know is that I want you to let your faith rest at the cross. I want your faith to be grounded in the death and resurrection of Jesus. I want your faith to rest in knowing that what God asks of you, you cannot provide. And I want your faith to rest in the fact that what God asked of you, he has given you in Jesus. What is it that you need to do? You don't need to have understood what I've said tonight, certainly. What you need to do is to confess your need and trust in Jesus. That is the message of the cross. That is the gospel. That is foolishness to the world. And that is all that God requires of us. It's amazing.